You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, and it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Anything from seepage, bowing walls, uh, crawl space encapsulation. You see the foundation moving about. Maybe the gutters are dirty again. You know, people clean them in the fall. They go out in the spring, and guess what? They're clogged. Stuff was falling in them the entire season. You probably want to clean them out again. They do that. Their job is to keep water away from your foundation, out of your basement, and protect your home. If you want a free in-home estimate or just want to talk to them on the phone about what they can do for you, they are available 24-7-365-708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get money off. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. My friend, if you looked at White Sox Twitter or you followed White Sox social media, especially after this weekend where the Sox won yet another series, two out of three games, you would think this team was three and six going into the, the Cleveland series instead of six and three. Like, people are very, very nervous. I mean, like, not not everybody's very nervous. Uh, this guy's super excited. Woo! Let's go, White Sox! If you were Jesse, let's go, White Sox! When Tupac came up, then you were that Sox fan! Tupac, Grayson, my f***ing guy! My name is Jorge from Lincoln to Help. I also uh, sent you that voicemail uh, last week. That guy's very excited. He loves Bennett Souza. Oh, well, and how could you not be excited about Bennett Souza? I, I <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know how you could be that excited about Bennett Souza. Don't get me wrong. As rookie relievers go, he's doing a fine job. I'm not. I'm not anti Bennett Souza. I'm not necessarily screaming his name out in in ecstasy like that. But. Um, yeah, you know what? I agree with you, though. There, There is that perpetual dark cloud that seems to be following Sox fans around, or at least some of them. You're right. You would think that you are dealing with a team that has come out and not won their series and not meeting expectations. And granted, they are not... 9 and 0. They're not, you know, they're they're not sitting here undefeated or anything like that, but nobody is. So, I don't understand what the concern overall is, although you can always 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 over the course of a baseball season nitpick some aspect of the team's performance that they could always improve upon. I mean that's that's one of the beautiful things about baseball. Is you could always look at the team and go, "Yeah, but they'd be better off if they did this." So, what's what's your yeah, but for, for this team, if you've got one. Well, yeah, but I would like to see them not swing at the first pitch all the time. A really interesting stat. Jay Kuda uh, is a great follow on Twitter at Jay Kuda. All the guy does is basically go out and find like these crazy stats and, and amazing comparisons. And he put out something on April 17th, which is Sunday on Easter, comparing the White Sox to the Rays as they finished off the series. The White Sox are swinging at that point. 
first pitch early on in the season, 41.1% of the time. That is first out of every team in Major League Baseball. The White Sox are swinging at the first pitch more than any other team in Major League Baseball. The Rays were second, 35.2% of the time. That's not like right neck and neck. The second team, 6% less. There are only two teams over 35%, the White Sox and the Rays, and the league average for swinging at the first pitch, 29.8% of the time. So the White Sox are swinging really early in counts. And while I love the uh, aggressiveness, especially when it's against a pitcher where you have a game plan where you're like, we're going to be aggressive today. Cool. But it seems like it's happening way too much. And if you're not putting pitches on the arms of the opposing team, you're allowing them to go deeper in the games and you're giving that team easier outs because you're not being very selective with your pitches. And that's my one concern. You have a great offense, but you have an offense that is sputtering when you look at stars like Yasmani Grandal with a 222 on base percentage right now, 160 batting average, a break you out of the gate hitting 212 on base percentage under 300 at 297. We're, we're seeing Aloy Jimenez only hitting 222 uh, as they finished off that series with Tampa Bay this past weekend and a 267 on base percentage. Luis Robert hitting 194 with a 216 on base percentage, a lot of early swings in the count. Josh Harrison, 120 with a 154 OBP. That means you're not getting on, you're not drawing a lot of walks, even if you're not getting hits. You're not putting uh, pitches on the arms of the opposing pitchers and getting them out of the game and getting into the bullpen as quickly as you could. And that's the concern that I have. I I am worried about the philosophy early on in the season of being so ultra-aggressive, more aggressive than any other team in Major League Baseball. It's the reason why you're fortunate that your pitching staff is doing great because they're really bailing you out, okay? I mean, you got some of these guys, Cease and Kopech, their walks and hits per innings pitched are like a closers. They're well under one per inning. Their whip is great. The team as a whole has a whip under 1.30. That just shows incredible pitching and keeping guys off base, but you're keeping yourself off base offensively, and that's my concern right now. Well, to give you an idea, so the, the Cubs of all teams are leading the majors basically in hitting after, you know, to this point of the season, after what, basically a weekend. Right, and it's early. All these stats move around so quickly in the first month. It's early. It's it's early. It's early. But if you want to compare, the Cubs are in the majors. They have the best team batting average. They have the best team OPS, and and that goes along with also having really the best on base percentage. If you want to, if you want to compare what a team that really, honestly, from a lineup standpoint, is not supposed to be as good, is doing well early versus what the White Sox are doing. You can look at, like you said, that swinging on the first pitch where the Cubs, by by comparison to the 41% that the White Sox are swinging at the first pitch, the Cubs are only doing it 22.6% of the time. It's a little over half of what the, the Sox are doing. But more to the point, you, you start to see some other things that are going on. The Sox have only seen total 1,203 pitches. The Cubs have seen 1,346, and you would sit there and say, well, yeah, it's only 140 more pitches, but that's 140 more pitches over the course of not even 10 games. So that's, you're talking about putting pitches on the arm of the opposing team, that's 100 plus more pitches that the Cubs have worked than the White Sox have worked in as many games. 
And then you also start to see things like how many three and one counts have they seen and how many percentages of their counts that they get into are three and one or two and one or two and oh. And those are the hitters counts. That's when you're supposed to do the biggest amount of damage. There's a huge discrepancy. The White Sox have only gotten into a 2-0 count about 9% of their at-bats. They have seen a total, as a team, six 3-0 counts so far. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's a ridiculous number of, and, and 24 3-1 counts. Whereas the Cubs, by comparison, have uh, seen 34. They've seen 10 more 3-1 counts. And they have seen 61 2-0 counts. 61 compared to 28. That's a huge difference. So what the White Sox are doing is not only are they not working the counts, but by swinging at those early pitches, they are not getting themselves into these great hitters counts of 2-0, A lot of these guys, you could be hitting 190 two weeks into the season, be hitting 300 by the end of April because you're just starting to get your at-bats. So I, I, it's not a panic thing. And again, I still super excited. I'm super excited about this team, but I am concerned. You asked me for a concern. My concern is the lack of working the count. And in contrast, a team that I love their philosophy. I know Tony would never do this because it violates all of his unwritten rules. Okay. That he's got written someplace. Cause I don't think he could remember all the unwritten rules if he didn't write them down someplace. Right. I thought he went up on a mountain and got them on a tablet. <laughs> well, and he just has them hidden away. Well, there was a tablet. And then the tablet was destroyed. It was placed inside of an arc and you can't look directly at the arc or your face melts off. Okay. That's where the unwritten rules are kept somewhere in Tony's oh, basement okay. in a crate okay. with a bunch of other crates. Okay. But Gabe Kapler, the Padres were mad at him because late in the game, blowing out San Diego, the Giants laid down a bunt and continued the inning up by a ton of runs late in the game. And this violates all the old man rules of baseball. But Kapler's explanation afterwards is how I want my team to act. Because one, it, it's smart. It's smart for winning a, a series. Two, there are no more one game playoffs. That doesn't exist anymore. Run differential actually matters as a tiebreaker. So throw that rule out because it's stupid and it actually matters whether or not you can blow opponents out. But Kepler's real explanation, forget about the fact that if he has a big run differential and ends up tying the Dodgers, that he's going to break the tiebreaker, which could happen very easily over in that division. But the explanation he gave made sense no matter what. The explanation of we want to put as many pitches on their arms as possible we want to get into their bullpen as much as possible, and we want to wear them out so as we go through the series, it becomes harder for them to win the later games in the series because their pitchers are worn out. That's brilliant, right? You're not doing that if you're swinging first pitch all the time. You're not If you're doing that in game one and you're letting a guy, the game one starter, cruise, and he cruises for you know, six, seven innings, and they barely touch their bullpen, they're set up really well for game two of the series. But under the Kapler model, which I think is a brilliant model that is going to be poo-pooed by all these, these old-school baseball guys, the idea is to put as many pitches on those arms, get into that bullpen, and make the series harder to win as the series goes on because you're not playing for just one game. You're playing to take as many games as possible from your opponent. 
That is the, the exact opposite of the White Sox in the first couple weeks here because of the early swings. So I would hope that there's a, some point of regrouping that because of the snow out in Cleveland, there's like a moment and somebody says, wait a minute, we're not doing this right. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Sitting down here at the Nine Foot Homemade Oak Bar with us today. Uh, it's kind of nice whenever we can have a guest kind of stop in. Let's talk with a guy that loves his team so much that he has an image of every White Sox player in history with the exception of six. I can't wait to hear who the six are. Jim Pender is a substitute teacher in Evergreen Park at Evergreen Park Community High School. He also uh, works over at the ballpark. You're a huge White Sox fan. You walked in with some of your pictures. Uh, you had more in the car, and I was like, we're, we're not a video podcast. There's a, no reason to carry all these in here. But, Jim, how are you? Not too bad, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I, I appreciate you stopping in just to take a couple of minutes because it, it's just kind of a fun story. I, I saw this article and then I saw that you were local and I was like, well, I'd love to have him on. So first off, who are the six? Do you, do you know them right off the top of your head? I can remember most of them. I, I did get uh, Charlie Cavanaugh I got today. Somebody <laughs> sent me that one. So that eliminates. We're one. down to five. Yes, we're down to five. <laughs> Ernie Growth, Lloyd Merriman, this Andy Nelson and Robert Lawrence. Andy Nelson's in 1912, and Robert Lawrence, I believe, is in 1924. So some of them, when that happens, I can go on Baseball Reference, and they got a little dinky picture, but he's with the Sox. Both of those two guys, I can't find on there. So can't get a picture of them can't anywhere. Can't get a picture of them. But I, I have a couple friends around, the, not around the world, but I have one um, down near St. Ambrose where my son goes to school. And also uh, a friend of mine who was a teacher at Bogan, and then he retired and went to went to Phoenix, and he's out there, and he's he's got more stuff than you can imagine, autograph wise and picture wise. He's got a lot, so I haven't contacted him yet. I'm going to find those guys if it's the last thing I do, no question about it. So why do this? Why why collect all the pictures? Well, I guess uh, I, I don't know if I'm obsessed. I would say I probably am. Yeah, my wife probably would think so, but. I love the team. I, I haven't missed an opener since 1975. Um, and, you know, I go with my childhood friends and we meet uh, Shinnicks and wherever and we, we sit there and get caught up on our families and how's everybody doing. And then we go to the ballpark. The one with the, with the COVID, I went to what was considered the opener when the fans were able to go. I consider that my opener. So since 1975, when I was in college, I haven't missed and if I'm breathing, I'm going. 
Our guest, Jim Pender, sitting down here at the bar and every guest on Socks in the Basement proudly brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Have you been to Lamont lately? Great shopping, incredible dining, wine bars, martini bars, and even the very famous Pollyanna Brewing Company. Take a ride along the INM Bike Canal or visit The Forge. Experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventures. Learn more at lamontdowntown.com. Do they have to be in White Sox garb for it to count for you? Well, no, because I have like 50 of them okay. that are not in a White Sox uniform. It's preferred, but you... you Absolutely. But you don't, like, that That makes it hard because some of them you have these images, I'm sure some of these older ones, right, where yeah. they're not in a White Sox uniform. Absolutely. They're grainy or they're from a newspaper article that you find online back in the day. I have a couple guys, uh, Augie Swenter, he was 1922... And I have him in a football uniform from his college days, but I don't have him in a baseball uniform. So I, I spoke with you before. I have somebody that has con- two people contacted me today about photoshopping, and it's a it's an art for sure. So hopefully they can first get rid of the grainy part, and then they can put a uniform on them, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's good enough for me. There, there's like. There's a guy, I only miss him, one guy in the 30s. Right. In a uniform. Everybody else has got a uniform on. His and it just drives is, you nuts. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Mem love it. And you know what drives me even more nuts? He died in Downers Grove in 1995. If I could have found him, I would have gone to his house. I have gone to people's houses and knocked on their doors. I'm not shy about it. And just taking a picture of him? Well, just, well, if, yeah. <laughs> at that time, I didn't have the picture, but now I found him in a shirt and tie. Okay. There's this big Wikipedia thing about the guy. He came up the last game of the season in 1933. The game was in Detroit. It wasn't here. If it was here... I would have a picture of Mem Lovin in a Sox uniform. What is the plan for this now? You have this amazing collection. Like, you work over at the ballpark. You said that you're yeah, you're, you're doing right. the, the split, split the, the pot. pot. Yes. Uh, so you move throughout the ballpark. You you were even mentioning to me that they had uh, Easter Mass there on Sunday, which I thought was really cool. Yes, that they, they did. They, they, they have Mass every Sunday every for Sunday. those that are working. I think that's, that's awesome that they do that. So you did Easter Mass inside the ballpark and manager Kevin Cash over the Tampa Bay Rays came over to have uh, to have he Easter came. Mass with you. He must have prayed well because they won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was inspired there on, yes, on Easter was. to go win. Okay, so uh, so you're obviously around the ball, ball club. Do they know about your collection? Do you have plans to share it with them? If like at some point that like it gets passed on to the team or what's the, I don't the think they, I don't think they know about it. Cause I, I, I just started working there last summer for split the pot. Okay. And then this, you know, I don't go around talking about it that much, but I, I did get uh, Tim Moran from Evergreen park to get it on the pad. So I'm getting texts and my sisters are calling me and, you know, and my brothers, a nice article. And so I, it's just, I started collecting White Sox in third grade. I mean, I, I would write letters to the players and I still write today. There's a guy named uh, Jack Smalling who puts out this book. He's on his maybe 21st edition of it. And all it is, is the addresses of every major league player that ever played or now, or if the, he's got the dates that they pass away so I still write to these guys to get autographs. I mean, I still send it to, you know, their home or or there's some guys that were with the Sox and now they're on different teams. So I'll send it to their current team with a self-addressed stamped envelope. So my first 
you know, love was collecting autographs back in the day. My first autograph was Mickey Mantle on 35th Street when he was coming out of Comiskey Park to get on the Yankees bus in 1963. And then I was hooked because he was a great player and we, you know, a lot of people hate the Yankees and and I'm not exactly Man, a big fan of them. I'm going to tell you something. My father right now, who's probably listening to this episode, incredibly jealous because uh, Mickey Mantle uh, was uh, a little hungover when he got in there. Uh, <laughs> sure. And, and when they were in there and uh, Mantle swore at him, dropped a couple of F-bombs and refused to sign his autograph when he was a little kid. Joe Piscopo signed it. But, no kidding. Uh, but no not, kidding. not Mickey not Mantle. Mantle. No. So he's uh, he, I'm sure he'd be a little jealous to hear that Mickey... The Mick must not have imbibed as much the night before well, he met you. Yeah, I think it was a day game on a Saturday, and then he came out. <laughs> so you're you're an Uber fan. You're a huge White Sox fan. That is indisputable. Absolutely. Looking at what no you're doing, question. and you're walking around the ballpark right now. What do you, what do you feel right now? Are you you're excited about this team? Are you happy with everything that's going on? Uh, you walked in, you pointed at my picture of uh, Luis Robert next to the bar, and you're like that guy. I think he's going to be the MVP this year. Yeah. And I think that Cease is going to be the Cy Young Award winner. I may be wrong, but I the way they've started, I think, you know, it's only two weeks into the season. Treading water, we have the best record in baseball with a bunch of injuries. So when our regulars get back, let's hope that we just tear through it. And, and, I, and I think they're going to learn from last year. You know, unfortunately, last year, I think we were too far ahead where not that they – laid off or laid back or whatever you want to call it. But I think that now they're going to be ready for the playoffs a lot more. They're going to be ready to realize that every inning counts, every pitch counts. Let's go. It seems like a great team that is very together. You know, they, they like each other. Um, I really think that we got a decent shot at, at getting to the World Series and winning it. So I just I just love the team. I've, I've loved them my whole life. That's awesome. There's a fan right there for you. Jim Pender uh, is a substitute teacher. Uh, you uh, will see him walking around uh, trying to do the split the pot. Really interesting thing that you're doing here. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I kind of hope that the team catches what you're doing. Okay. I don't know. You seem like a modest guy and you're like, I just do this for fun. But it'd be cool if they caught up to what you're doing and people could get a look at this because I'm sure you have things in there that people can't find very easily. And I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun and you know, you only live once. You got to have a good time. You got to have fun doing what you're doing. And this is something that's been my whole life and, you know, since third grade and, and I've loved this team. It was a a great, you know, they, we won the world series on my wedding anniversary on October 26th. And, I'll never forget it, and uh, you know, hopefully we get another one in our lifetime, and it would be great. It's tough to win. I mean, it's tough to you know repeat every team, you know, and and we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. I believe that Jerry Reinsdorf would like the Sox to win one more for him in his lifetime and for Tony. So, and I think he'll do whatever it takes, and and I think we're gonna get there. You can reach out to us whenever you want to. Uh, you can hit us with the voicemail at SocksInTheBasement.com or you can leave us a message at SocksInTheBasement.com. This is a follow-up to our last 
episode, Joe wrote us saying, Chris, thanks so much for pointing out how bad the situation is around inside of the ballpark. I live on the north side and take the Stevenson to Damon just to avoid the traffic on 35th. One thing you did not touch on was getting into the stadium. The lines to get in on the west side are almost to the train tracks. My kid and I waited 15 to 20 minutes just to get into the ballpark. It was the same hot mess last year in the playoffs. For diehards like you and I, it doesn't matter. But for casual fans, it's a bad look. Love your show, Joe. You know, and the reason I didn't mention that, and I could have mentioned it, I could have mentioned a bunch of different things. It would have been a much longer show than 30 minutes of socks. Okay. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues when they have big crowds. And hopefully they're trying to work that out right now. One of the issues, though, that is never going to go away uh, because of the insistence of going completely digital, where you have to show your ticket on your phone and you have to pay with a credit card. Because we're doing that, it is slowing things down. That is obvious. You, you put a credit card into a machine in a parking lot and have to wait. That takes longer than handing out $20. You have to show your phone and people are having internet issues and they're not flipping their screens as quickly as if you just handed the ticket and then walked in, that is going to cause slowdown and bottleneck issues. If you are going to insist that everything is a credit card and then there are steps where you have to decide, am I leaving a tip for a hot dog? Did I used to leave a tip for a hot dog? No, I don't normally tip on hot dogs and then I got to flip through and do all that and figure out what I'm going to do at the stand and I've got to keep pulling out my card and waiting for receipts instead of just throwing down some money and the vendor can push back some quarters and some singles like they used to. Everything slows down at the ballpark. Just because you have the technology to do something doesn't mean you should actually do it. And they haven't fixed that problem yet. There has to be, it, it, you can't run it the same way and then slow everything down with your new digital way of doing things. Because that is also, I think, a huge problem. Well, and when they they go through these things, right? And they say, okay, well, reading off of a phone is just as effective as reading off of a piece of paper, except for not everybody's phone has a clear screen protector on it. Not everybody has their, their uh, you know, their contrast turned and their brightness turned all the way up. Like you said, some people, their phone freezes. Sometimes you can't get, you know, everybody scanned in a timely fashion. Sometimes those scanners kind of sit there and just go, eh, you know, they don't work. And then you have, like I said, you said uh, the other day when we were talking about the problems, you have the situation of whether or not people are standing at the level to get in and they're checking, can they see it? Do they care? You know, um, but you're right about the credit card stuff too. And and, and that, that does have an impact cumulatively when you've got 40,000 people coming to a game. Not to mention the idea that, uh, you know, if you're going to have everybody funneling through a handful of gates and it's going to be slow there too, you're also going to have these big crowds, which is also why if when, you know, these things are addressed or if there's ever excuses that are put out, they say stuff about the pandemic. I don't buy any of that, Ed. And you want to know why I don't buy it? First of all, there's no science anymore that says that it's so right. somehow safer where you can't take a dollar bill. And then secondly, secondly, the amount of messages that we've received from people who work in the ballpark since that episode, who listen to this show, who have reached out and said, please don't mention what I do. I don't want to lose my job, but they have been aiming to go to this system for years. They've wanted to take out cash for years and this was the perfect excuse to do it. They're never going back to it. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. 
but you have to have a better system because this does not work quick enough. If you want to go to that system, you need to find a better way to get people in. You need to add people that are scanning. You need to come up with something else, like how Portillo's realizes that you can't just pull up and make your order, so they put people well out into the line to start processing people so they can get them through quicker. If they can figure that out at their fast food hot dog joint, you got to figure it out at your massive baseball stadium that's worth a billion dollars, right? Like that's, I don't want to hear any of those excuses and please, I'm done with, I'm done with the pandemic as an excuse for anything at this point. Oh yeah. We've all gone through it. We've all had to make our adjustments. Don't use it. If you use it, you're going to sound stupid. Well, yeah. And if you're going to use it and then say, but it's causing us to have these giant crowds that can't get around each other too. If there's pandemic concerns, trust me, uh, there's a lot of people crunched in trying to get through these lines. I came so much closer to physically making out with people just trying to walk along the 100 level concourse <laughs> just because of how right, close right. Uh, the close proximity we had to each other, let alone you right, know. the lines, the lines being caused by everything that you're doing right now are far more dangerous. So you can't use that excuse. You can't use that excuse. If you're if you're if you if you are honestly still nervous and you're concerned about crowds and you know, disease being passed and things like that, you can't tell me that this system keeps people safe because <laughs> you can't yeah you can't i was at opening day you can't tell me that that's what no, you were doing you can't tell me that that's what your concern was and that was your reason no it is much safer to, to pass a five dollar bill down a, a line of people and have and have seven hands touch actual cash right to go you know get your one hot dog than it would be for you know for us to all be standing crunched in a line trying to trying to leave enough of a walkway for several thousand people to walk behind us while we're waiting in line to find out that the pretzel wrap broad isn't there. I've been to two games. I can't get a pretzel broad. I'm never going to get one. Uh, imagine if they brought back the vendors, the the crush in the lines, how it would get better inside the ballpark, right? But if you brought back the vendors, you, you either have to have more machines to process the credit cards getting passed around, or you got to go back to cash, at least in some instances, in your ballpark. And I just think, to me, it just seems like it probably looked like a really good idea on paper. You know what we're going to do? We're going to digitize everything. We're going into the 21st century. Like, they're very exciting. A lot of young people probably in there coming up with these ideas. But, like, logistically, doesn't make a lot of sense. But the fact still remains, there's th these problems are fixable if somebody's willing to sit down and admit that maybe their original idea isn't working very well. So hopefully there's going to be a change. Because guess what, man? It is going to be crowded there all summer long. It is going to be busy, okay? And you don't want to start telling people it'd be smarter for you to just watch the game at home. No. <laughs> you, know? you don't want to do that. You didn't work this hard to get this good of a team to make this much money as you're going to make right now with all these people clamoring to go to White Sox games and making new White Sox fans and stuff. You don't want to start getting that into people's heads. So I, my hope, my desire, my like, I really hope that they're working on that right now and not just saying, well, we're off for the next week because we don't have any crowds here. Right? Like, that would be a terrible idea. No, but you know what they should invest in? You know, if you're, you're going to digitize everything, then you need to invest in the Star Trek-style transporters just for the food. I order, and it materializes <laughs> in my lap. Maybe we can get drones, right? We have drones drop off your food. Or, or drones, And then sometime yeah. in, a, in, a, in a big game, a drone drifts in front of Adam Engel as he's trying to make a catch and knocks the ball out of the air. Okay, somebody's hot dog goes flying. Right. Like, I was saying, but Angle, Angle gets a beer out of it because, you know, he'd catch right. that and he'd be like, all right, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, down the hatch there. 
I mean, it's it's right, a triple <laughs> and two RBIs that we could have saved, but... Panetti and Stone arguing over what the ground rules are when the drone gets hit with a ball in the, in the air. Well, you know, generally the ground rule is if it hits the drone, but if it hits the pizza it's carrying, is that an extension of the drone? I'm not sure. I'm not, we're going to have to look that up. Right. That's where we're headed. Right. That's my right. nightmare. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.